Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I am Rachel. My pronouns are they, them, and happy one year of Kick Out. And I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Kickout is officially a year old as of December 20th, so it feels like good timing to bring you a very special end-of-year episode with guests who played important roles in the success of the podcast this year. We asked Jesse and Smiley to join us as they were the very first people we wanted to work with when this podcast was just an idea between Rachel and I, so beginning and ending our first season with them made so much sense to us. Unfortunately, Smiley couldn't make the recording last minute, but he will be on Talking Triple Crown's end of year episode instead, so look forward to that next week. Dr. Jonathan Foy also joined us for Kickout's end of year, and he was someone we were lucky to meet when Kickout only had maybe two or three episodes up, and his belief in our work and message really meant a great deal to Rachel and I. All of that being said, there are so many other people we need to thank for their constant support of Kickout and Talking Triple Crown this year, whether they were a guest on the show or contributed in some other way. Sarah Kerchak, Matt Charlton, Justin Nipper, Celia Thistle, Seb, Jack Grooms, Zachy, Zavi, Lou, Nock, Des, Lewis, Sam, Two, Kay Fresco. Thank you all for everything this year. And thank you to those of you listening who have been listening this whole time with us and those of you who have interacted with us on our social media or left us ratings and kind comments elsewhere. Kickout could never have become what it is today without any of you. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Kick Out 299's end of year episode. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. And we are here with two excellent guests today. Jesse, Jonathan, please go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, so I'm Jesse. My pronouns are she, her. You can find me at Sister Jesse on Twitter or Royal Road 72. And also here on Kick Out as the host of Talking Triple Crown. And I'm Jonathan, my pronouns are he, him, and you can find me at Jonathan Foy on Twitter and uh, all around the internet in various ways, just with regards to some of my writing. So hope to get a chance to talk a bit more about that as we pick our best of end of year awards. And I know we are really, really excited to pick these awards. I have... uh seen some of the picks that people have and of course I'm excited to share my picks but without further ado let's get into it and first off let's decide the order that we are going to go in so I have a little wheel set up Um, of course the all the guests today can see it you guys cannot but it's really cute promise Um, and I'm going to spin the wheel and that will determine the order for the rest of the episode. So are you guys excited? It's like that old WCW gimmick. What was that one with the, they spin the wheel and they pick the gimmick match. Um, yeah, exactly. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking like, um, like spinning or rolling initiative on a D&D podcast. It's like, oh, we're a D&D podcast now. Look at us go. <laughs> but no. All right. So let's get to it without further ado. And our first person will be Jonathan. All right. Jonathan, you will be going first. 
I'm thrilled about this, honestly. Stack it. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> this was rigged, you can tell. <laughs> that was so crazy. I, I have a feeling I'm going to be last. And I'm going to be a little bit salty about this. Go ahead. Oh, this is, this is totally a work segment. So, isn't it? so for, for you guys who didn't see, um, it was right on the hair between Alicia and Jesse, and Jesse got chosen. So now it is down to your two uh, co hosts, Alicia and Rachel. So let's find out who goes last. The wheel has spoken, and I will be going third, and Alicia, as predicted, will be going last. Mm. How are you guys feeling about these picks? At least I'm not it first. Reminds me of that, <laughs> yep. It reminds me of that, um, that Noah show where everything was randomized, in, uh, supposedly in terms of where the opponents were, and it just happened to be that the, the last two people, the final match, were like the, the heavyweight champion and the junior heavyweight champion. Yeah, just, just completely... Yeah, it does, it does feel a little worked, doesn't it? That it, that ended up almost <laughs> a little too perfectly. Yeah, it feels like I planned, but I didn't. They did see it, so I did not plan it that way. All right, so with the order set, the stage is set. Let's go ahead and get started. For the first category, I have the best gear, the best rest of the year. And Jonathan, you are going to start us off. What do you got? So... Like with a lot of these categories, you're going to see me talk about this, that when I think about the category, there's all sorts of reasoning and kind of go back and forth a little bit. But in this case here, I thought about moments and I thought about kind of the moment where the gear had an impact. And I was thinking here about when at Sushi Ayagi, I'm always terrible with pronouncing his name, but it's the current junior heavyweight champion of the world in old Japan uh, during the Budokan show when he walked out, I think that was a match that was kind of important for his career and a match that was a big breakout moment for him. And so when he emerged with some of the best gear and when he had like his hair covered so that he could have that big reveal of the fact that his hair had changed and kind of showing that change in him, I thought that was the best. So I've gone with him for this category. And again, your mileage might vary and it depends on how you look at the category, but that's my pick for the time being an excellent choice jesse what do you have i was on like the same trail as jonathan with my thinking i picked someone from the same show i didn't pick uski i was close to picking uski but i picked kento his new okay. gear debuted at the show it was just him the feathers on his entrance coat was so over the top just like his his gear was gold and kento is always carrying gold this outfit is beautiful it's just pure kento 100 percent uh, for mine, I actually picked mine for the same reason um, in that it was just him 100%. And that would be Keno's Lion Gear that he uh, debuted at Cyber Fight Festival because it's just, like you said, it's just him. It's the lions. They're proud. They're guardians. Like it just, it's perfect for him. What do you have, Alicia? I picked the other Aoyagi brother. I picked mm. Yuma. He debuted his new gear for his match against Kento for the Triple Crown post his champion carnival win. And I just loved everything about this outfit. He has like a vest, basically. It's very different, I think, from what other people wear. It really makes him stand out. The blue glitter is just so Yuma with the gold and the Victory Loves preparation um, 
logo on the back. It just looks incredible. And it's just so Yuma. And I was just obsessed with it. It's just my favorite thing that um, anyone debuted this year. A lot of all Japan love <laughs> in here. That's, that's really impressive because I, I don't really consider it a big year promotion. Close as we're going to get to near consensus on some of these categories, I think. We'll see. We'll see. Our next category that we have is going to be our best storyline, our favorite storyline of the year. So Jonathan, I'm really curious about this one. So my pick is one that was the one I enjoyed the most that I feel like they could have run with it a little bit more than they did in the end. And that's okay. Um, But it was what prompted me to check out a lot of older shows. It prompted me to stick with the current product and it was one of those things where I I dm'd at least a few of the people on this show about it when it happened which was Naoya Nomura's return to all Japan after months of speculation saying that he was now outside of the promotion an outsider and an enemy and someone that was going to target uh the the guys that were basically the top of the promotion the, the Kentos the the Yumas and uh, basically in uh, Jake Lee as well. And basically from there on, you saw that his matches were him taking people out as he went, as he moved up the card all the way up to Kento. And it was almost, it was fitting in its way that that storyline kind of finished there in his triple crown title match, the night after the Budokan. But in its way, I was that little bit disappointed that that was all we got to then see of this one. He's now switching to teaming with Yuma, it seems. And I suspect probably signing with the company in the new year. I'm, I'm hoping that's what happens. But I think that there was more gas to the storyline. I would have loved to have seen it gone longer and to have seen what they could have done from there with him as a heel. But um, yeah, that was my pick. That was what kind of had me the most hyped about wrestling this year, I think, out of everything. Um, and yeah, as I say, I said that with a huge caveat that the storyline is over and I would have liked to have seen more. Great pick. Yeah, it's not the last time we're going to talk about now yet, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesse, what do you have for us? Forgot about no more. <laughs> yeah, obviously that's not my pick. The obvious answer for me would be Jake versus Kento and their Triple Crown journey, but I didn't go with that. I went with something else, and I don't actually think anyone could probably guess my pick. My favorite storyline, I don't know if people consider it a storyline, but I do. It is from TJPW. Ooh. It's Tom Harajuku versus Maxi Impala. I consider yeah. that a storyline. That's definitely a storyline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am loving this. This is like Pom's nightmare come to yeah. life. Yeah. She was Max's first opponent in TJPW and has been terrified of them since. But every match they've had, she's been more and more confident. And I don't know if she'll ever get the win over Max, but she might come close. I don't know. Wasteland War Party might win the tag belts and then maybe uh, Palm will get a partner and come around, get a big moment. Oh, and Max taking Palm's hair accessory every single match is something I love and I hope it leads to something. Like they just give um, Palm a box at the end of their run and like, here, here's your hair accessories back or something. (laughs) Or even like incorporate them into their outfit. That would be pretty cool as well. Oh, that would be really cute. Or they have to beat them in order to kind of... uh... They, they kind of have a storyline where in order to uh, win them back, she has to win a match or something, have that as like one of the stipulations at the very end. <laughs> so for my storyline, uh, probably fairly predictable, I guess, for me, definitely not as uh, as 
exciting or uh, different. No act. need to preface it. Oh? Just go. Okay, go. fine. fine. <laughs> it's Go Shiyazaki's Road to GHC series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you see that? You heard that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> no, this this was just excellent. This was a perfectly executed set of matches. We talked about it on I Am Noah in the last episode. If you haven't heard that, we're probably going to be referencing that episode a whole lot during this episode. So please, please check that out. Um, but yeah, this is just a, a, a perfect set of matches. And there's nothing quite like watching the absolute state of Go Shiyazaki as he falls apart during these matches. And I just love it. Perfect character acting, perfect story. And that's what I'm here for wrestling for. So Alicia, what do you have? I mean, mine is not unpredictable either per se, but I, <laughs> I didn't I, predict yours. You didn't? No, I didn't. Um, this was like probably the easiest one for me to choose actually, but I chose uh, Kenta and the release of his book Footprints that he used for the G1 and even afterward. It's not surprising, I think, for me to say that I was devastated watching him fall off that ladder last year's Wrestle Kingdom. That was horrific. And it really, I think, set a weird tone for this year. And then he was out for six months, but then he came back and uh, I think like two weeks later, he released Footprints after like a two-year delay on that book. And then he used that book to tell, I think, one of the most compelling stories to put himself through the G1 and had, I think, everyone talking about him and his backstages. And it's just the sort of thing that Kenta at this stage of his career does best. It doesn't matter that maybe the booking for him in New Japan isn't stellar. Kenta will tell his own stories. He will get himself over. He will make you talk about him no matter what. And he used everything that was going on backstage with the book to great effect. I just love this. I was compelled and I was so happy to have him back. Yeah, that's perfectly said. And when you put it that way, it is it is a very Alicia pick, but I couldn't think of anything better for you or for Kenta. He had that moment where he ran into someone backstage and was like, oh, hey, are you carrying that, my new book, which is out in stores now? Like, just he managed to take advantage of every minute that he was on camera to push that thing in a way that I haven't seen someone plug a product better uh, since maybe... um, so Scott Steiner had a promo on Samoa Joe once where he plugged Joe's DVD by saying it's, this is unstoppable, <laughs> but it's actually unsellable and throwing it away. Yeah, yeah. This will be the only Scott Steiner cut I think we'll get in this episode. But mm-hmm. yeah, as far as just ways of working that into uh, shoehorning it into everything, I think Kenta was one of the best. I'm sure we're going to be talking about Kento a lot on this show as well. So. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jonathan, don't you have a... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't... don't. Okay, there, there are two things I'm going to mention here. First is... Uh, uh, so on the whole shoehorning book thing, and I'm absolutely not going to refer at all to Gamburu or the Muto years, uh, both available on Amazon <laughs> at the moment. And the second reason... The second thing we have to explain to the audience is why I'm going to be muted every time I try to speak now, which is Yeah, you've basically, got to give everybody I, your Kenta theme choices. And oh, I already yeah. know. Um, so um, here's the thing is I haven't heard every single Kenta theme song that uh-huh. there is, so I can't be fair about that, but I'll have to mm. include that in the Noah book that I'm working on at the mm-hmm. moment. Just as a list at the end of the book, I'll, um, I'll include like best theme songs and best Kenta themes ranked in order because by the end of this thing, I'll, I'll have heard them all, so... And if the Hideo theme makes that list. (laughs) (laughs) You'll make good on your threat to actually mute me. Uh, Yes. um, Oh, geez. Like that. 
that theme is just sad in retrospect. Um, it's not a bad theme. It's just, it's sad with what it represents, I think. And um, anyway, that goes to categories because of how we look at them and how we analyze these things. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. And a lot of the things we've had to pick, it was so hard because we have so many different categories in our mind of how things fit in, um, especially once we get to best matches, I'm sure. But uh, for this next category, this one should be uh, pretty easy. We do also have a runner up that you guys can uh, throw in, just mention that, throw that out there um, along with your choice. And that would be best show of the year, Jonathan. So uh, my runner up for best show of the year was one that had the whole wrestling world talking for quite a little while there, which was Wrestle Kingdom Night 3. Mm. And um, after years of Noah and New Japan not working together after years of some interplay here and there, some comments made on Twitter and years of Kaido Kiyomiya calling out Okada, we actually got to see interactions between these two rosters. And while the matches themselves weren't what you would consider or what I would consider to be match of the year, the reason I'd go with show of the year or, or put this into a, that kind of category is just as a show as a whole, I think that the fun of this thing the interactions we got to see from top to bottom all of the kind of tension that they had ultimately it didn't go as many places as i might have liked but uh, as far as one night goes and one thing in and of itself uh this was my my runner-up for show of the year uh, i go back over to noah for my actual show of the year which i had as being Noah the new year on the 1st of January which basically from top to bottom in terms of overall matches I suspect we're going to have some agreement here and a few other people <laughs> pick this one um this was for me personally the high point of Noah this year in so far as just an overall feeling I took away from this show I felt like they had momentum I felt like they made a statement the main event especially had that kind of statement made with the result and the uh, second from the top match as well was one of my favorite matches of this year. It doesn't quite make my top five. It's probably my sixth favorite match. We'll get to that. And just the, the uh, Kenta tag team match where he um, was uh, involved in that six man tag just had just the perfect kind of combination of people and the perfect uh, interpromotional interaction without giving too much of that away ahead of, Wrestle Kingdom Night 3, and it was a shame that they didn't get to follow up on that in a bigger mm -hmm. way this year. But absolutely, that's my uh, that's my match of the year. Oh, my show of the year, I should say. We'll get to match of the year later. <laughs> yeah, excellent. And definitely, I think, some uh, familiar shows and matches you've mentioned in there. Uh, Jesse, what is your show of the year and your runner-up? My shows of the year aren't as grand as Jonathan's, but I love them. My runner-up is the Raising an Army Memorial Series Day 3 at Shinkiba because it was the first show since 2020 to have cheering. Yeah. And it was just so lovely and fun to have the fans' voices heard again. They had another Izanagi Black Mento Ray go to 10 minutes, but this was fun because of the fans' involvement. Hearing the fans shout for Wada was just, oh, it's everything I wanted. This was a show where I started liking Toshizo, who is now my favorite Voodoo Murders member. It was such a shock for me, but yeah, he's my favorite now. 
and also having that's that worth everything actually that's that's worth the whole the whole show of the year is you being a Toshizo we um we could basically shut this thing down right now and would have achieved what we need to as far as don't hold on we'll talk about it in uh Jesse, Jesse loves Toshizo yeah. but buries Honda so I wouldn't put Jesse over too much but go ahead Jesse go ahead <laughs> Give a, go ahead Jesse for my best show, it has to be Champions Night 3 for me. We had Dan, Tamara, and Kobayashi holding hands, which was the sweetest thing to me. The last man standing between Ashino and Honda, where Honda literally tried to stab Ashino, was such a great match. Yuma literally getting his butt kicked was so funny. We had a good junior title match, Jake Lee's return match, and an amazing triple crown match where Kento defeated Suji Ishikawa. Yeah, I actually had... Um, Champions Night 3 down as my runner up for a while. Like I was, I was neck and neck with my, um, with my match or with my shows. Um, however, my runner up actually went to Noah the New Year on January 1st. Yeah. So um, of course that, that show was just, it was shocking in how well everything went <laughs> for a promotion with not the best booking on earth. Everything went perfectly well and ended, ended great. I actually remember vividly, Alicia was like, wow, everything was fine. Like when it ended. <laughs> you were in my living room for that. I was in your living room and you, you're everything went fine. I was like, it did. <laughs> and and that is just a, an incredible moment. But my actual show of the year was GDT Judgment 2022. And that would be on March 20th. And um, that show just made me weep uh, happy tears pretty much the entire time. Just the sheer amount. And actually our, our friend Sarah talks about this a whole lot is the sincerity that DDT approaches wrestling. And if you're looking for just sincerity and love of wrestling, watch DDT judgment, because you will find that from bell to bell, just the entire show is just full of the love of wrestling and the main event, the feelings from the main event with endo and uh, Takeshita just, they can't be replicated. They can't be done by any other wrestlers. It's just a fantastic little show. So those are my picks, Alicia. So my runner up, I went back and forth on a bunch of different shows because there was a couple All Japan shows that I really comfort watched this year that I don't think anyone would ever think of comfort watching. One of them being the Jumbo Saruta Memorial show. I just really loved Mm -hmm. that show Mm. among others. But what I ended up going for with my runner up was the Royal Road opener on August 7th in Corican. Um, if you remember, that's the one where Kendo um, <laughs> faked everyone out um, about joining voodoo murders. And he like almost destroyed his relationship with Hayato. And he tormented that child amongst <laughs> other things. Um, but I like, for me, like I chose this one as my runner up because I don't watch a lot of shows live. I just don't have the opportunity to with my work schedule and with this podcast and just other shit I have going on in my life. So this was a show that I think I accidentally watched live um, because I didn't mean to, but I had a lot of energy that night. So I stayed up for it um, and I loved it. I loved being awake for it. I was excited about what might happen with Kento and there were some um, really good matches on that card. We got Yuma and Naoya on that card. Yuma and Naoya didn't make my, um, you know, quasi top five, whatever, but it would probably make like a top 10 or top 20 for me. Like I loved, I loved that match. So there was a couple really good matches on that card. And I just like, for me, 
I know that other people wouldn't choose it per se. I chose it because I just genuinely enjoyed every moment of being like awake and watching that show live and just experiencing it. So that's why it was my um, runner up for my show of the year. I chose Noah, the new year, which is I think <laughs> not surprising. And um, I won't go too into Kenta's match. Cause I'll talk about that again at a different point, but that match just from, you know, top to bottom was like why I love wrestling. Like that's just the feeling I had walking away from it was like, my God, I, I just, I really love wrestling. This is the best feeling in the world when a show can make you feel that way. I loved it. It was everything to me. Obviously Kenta being a part of it was massive um, for me personally. And then of course being with Sugira, cause it was like having like a little bit of like a no mercy reunion, which was amazing. But I think that the main event going the way that it did and having like a really incredible, you know, sort of conclusion to that part of their storyline, Katsuhiko Nakajima and um, Goshi Ozaki, that was so meaningful and so beautiful. And then watching Kongo um, close out the show together. I mean, like that was just everything. So yeah, it was just a beautiful show and I can't say enough about it. Yeah, that's perfectly said. They had that little moment since you mentioned the No Mercy reunion, the little moment where the guy, like that fan had the No Mercy the towel. fan had the old yeah. No Mercy towel and like they were walking up the, the ramp and Kenta and Sugira saw it. They stopped and they were pointing at it together. And like that, like made me really emotional. I loved it. Yeah, that was a good moment. All right. So our next category is going to be best faction. I'm excited for this one. So Jonathan, take it away. So in considering this one, there were a lot of great factions that this year, and this is going to be something of a theme for my picks, um, a lot of great factions that didn't quite get what they needed to, what they deserved to have um, happen. Uh, Total Eclipse's Untimely End, and in something I'll be talking a bit bit about later on, uh, the untimely end of Suzuki-gun as well, uh, both just um, big losses in my opinion, um, stuff I wanted to see more of. But so considering those two are out of contention for it and considering what I look for out of faction in terms of like kind of unity and theme and fun moments and uh, being people that reinforce each other and like that, being in the faction itself can constitute a push sometimes if mm. uh, you group the right people together. Um, I'm going with, and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this as I do so many other words, but Gugnir of Anarchy GOA as my pick for faction of the year because of the fact that they had momentum, uh, at least at, for a while there, they have some of the just the best kind of uh, kind of comedy in terms of their interplay with one another in terms of being so over the top that it's utterly memorable in the name alone kind of makes me want to go and buy the t-shirt. And I think that's the other part of this is looking at the factions and everything like that is uh, I think to myself, do I want to buy their merch um, as one of the considerations there? And does this uh, give them something more than if they weren't in the faction? And these are all great, great guys that that are great members of this faction, but I think that they are better for their membership of it. So uh, all those things considered GOA is my pick for faction of the year. That's a really good point as well. Like just all the points that you've given um, as to what constitutes a faction of the year. And I'm not even sure that like, I really thought about those when picking my faction, but I mean, I still stand by my choice, but yeah, that's, that's really definitely something worth thinking about is uh, what worth does the faction bring to the wrestlers in it? And what do the wrestlers bring to the faction? Uh, Jesse, what do you have? (laughs) 
I have the same answer as Jonathan. Daniel of Anarchy or GOA, whatever you want to call them. So Ashino, Honda, Yusuke Kodama, Sego Tachibana or um, Hanabara, whichever one is going by now. <laughs> They're great together. I remember when Ashino brought out Honda as his tag team partner. I'm just like, he tried to stab you a couple months ago. Now you're working <laughs> with him? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I love these sunglasses. Um, wearing dogs. They're also fun. I just... Yeah, I just want good things for this faction. Agreed. I think we can all agree uh, that this faction's pretty great. However, that wasn't my best faction pick. <laughs> it was close. I thought about it. Um, I had it written down, but then I remembered that my faction of the year it actually goes to Haramau, uh, which would be Kazusada Higuchi, Naomi Yoshimura, and um, Ishida. But that would be in DDT. And uh, yeah, this, this faction is just has a really amazing aesthetic, really great vibe. Um, I love the way that they came together. Just um, Yoshimura and Higuchi's storyline this year was fantastic. The way that they've sort of, you know, clashed and then became tag partners and decided, no, we want to take someone young under our wing and push the, you or push uh, DDT forward into the future. It's just really cool and really exciting. And I have a lot of high hopes for this faction and what it will bring to the future of DDT. It's something that fits into DDT, but it's still just a little bit different. And uh, that's, that's always something that's really exciting to me. So Alicia, what do you have for us? Um, I chose Congo (laughs) and it's really hard for me. I think in most years to not choose Congo. And I think that is a testament to Keno's vision for the faction and to the fact that even in years where the guys in the faction don't have the strongest booking and things are a little bit messy, they are always such a strong, cohesive unit. I think there was only one storyline this year that I was vehemently against because it was so... It was the how storyline. Oh, it was, the how storyline. It wasn't yeah. Funaki. No, everyone's tired of hearing me talk about Funaki. So um, <laughs> everyone's tired of hearing that. And I think actually that I, aligns more than the how yeah. thing. Yes, Jonathan? Yeah. I was going to say, I, I could totally hear a rant about Funaki right now as far as that. No, actually, actually getting her on the how rant is a lot funnier than mm. the Funaki rant, I promise you. But no, I, I understand what you mean, yeah. um, especially about Congo in general, as yeah. especially in this year. Yeah, they are incredibly cohesive, aside from, again, that like one-off with how that I don't agree with. But, you know, they always have such a cohesive vision, even in years where the, the booking isn't very strong, especially for certain members. They are always sort of aligned under the ethos of Congo. And that is, you know, that makes a great, that makes a great faction to me. So Keno does um, incredible character work and they have all sort of risen to meet him in it. Um, You know, even people like, you know, people aren't nice about um, Manabu Soya for some reason on my timeline, but he is actually like one of the best character workers within Congo. Um, He's so completely underrated, but like, he's like, he's one of the strongest like character workers in Congo, but that's what I'm referring to. I just think that like the wrestlers that are in Congo are all so aligned on what it means to be in Congo. And that's why um, it's very difficult for me to uh not go with them on any given year getting a little teary but yes i i can agree with that answer <laughs> all right so our next category is going to be best moments and for this one if you guys could just list off all three moments and then sort of give your uh 
cohesive sort of thoughts on them, that would be excellent. That way we can just sort of go through the list. Jonathan, give us your best three. In considering this, I had to update it with recent events in mind. So number three, Jake Lee is presented with the Triple Crown by Kenta Kabashi. Number two, the Holy Demon Army present GOA with the tag belts. And number one, Minoru Suzuki disbands Suzuki-gun. Oh, wow. Yeah, good choices. Yeah. Wow. Number one is a good choice. All of them are good it, choices. It was uh, very tough to pick because I think wrestling, more than people think wrestling is moments, right? People often think, well, Jake Lee did not get the title run that he deserved. Um, the triple crown title run or that why would he go and accept the belt if he wasn't given a very long title run but uh, Alicia had a great rant about this on another episode it's worth listening to in full that articulates exactly why from a storyline perspective Um, but for me in isolation the moment where Jake gets presented the, the title belt by one of the legends in our sport as far as Kenta Kobashi goes uh, just speaks for itself it stands out as one of those moments in time where you kind of go, well, uh, this was all perfect. All of this was great. And every aspect of it added to the next. And in terms of that, I just don't think you're going to top that in his career, no matter what happens to him next. Uh, In the same way, the Holy Demon Army giving GOA the tag belts at the anniversary show in the Budokan, just that made me oddly emotional for some reason. I don't know why, but I think it was just like kind of researching the stuff about the split and everything that happened to all Japan to see two of the people that were quite on different sides of the split, who were such big parts of that story um, in terms of the members of the Holy Demon army. And also, come on, it was hilarious to see Kawada cut such a pace while Taue had to struggle behind <laughs> him. And, uh, Alicia and, had a lot of thoughts on that one. And so I won't- The I won't, ropes for Taue. <laughs> just something about that was just like, they, they, were, they had to cut time, I think. So they had to speed the moment up, but it was still amazing. And just to see them hand the belts over, something about this just made me feel like all Japan is back. And I don't know, I know that, sten- that sentiment gets thrown around a lot nowadays, but for whatever reason, just something about this made it feel complete. I don't know what exactly that was, but something about seeing these legends hand the belts over to the new generation was fantastic. Then more recently, all this got gazumped by Suzuki walking out in the most recent New Japan Pro Wrestling show, uh, the finals of the World Tag League, and uh, basically gave a very long speech. And as he was talking, I'm like, oh, no, I started to see where this was going. And I was very worried about it. And he kind of went from being in character to not being the murder grandpa. He went from being in character. You could watch him drop character in this promo and kind of talk about how proud he was of each and every member, which is why he was disbanding the unit. Um, they weren't needed anymore. They didn't need to be together anymore because they had met their goals as a faction and now could transcend that faction. And it all made sense and it was all great. It was also all very sad and made me now want to check out the show on the 23rd. So it achieved everything it needed to. Um, I'm still not sure about disbanding it because of, of how sad this all is, but that maybe is why it's a good moment. You know, not all moments have to be uh, happy moments to be good moments. And I think this one achieved a number of different things it needed to. So that's my moment of the year. It's not a happy one, but it's one nonetheless. I just want to add to that, Jonathan, because I think that you've just brought up like such a great point about Suzuki-gun. And I want to mention our friend Thistle, who actually did 
Um, they were our guest on the New Japan Factions episode and talked extensively about Desperado and Suzuki-gun. The, their account is locked, so not everyone who's following <laughs> this can see this, but they have an incredible mind um, for this faction and these, these men and these wrestlers and these characters. And something that they were talking about today that really struck me is that at the beginning of this faction, Suzuki ruled this faction with an iron fist, and he was brutal to these guys, really brutal to these guys. But to end this faction, he didn't just go out into the ring and just declare this, and they were surprised. They all knew, and they agreed to it because he went to them, right, in the kayfabe of it all, I suppose. He went to them and had a meeting with them, and they discussed it, and they agreed that it was time to end it together. So to your point, like, I actually think that as, as sad as it is, that is one of the best things I've ever heard because so it is so rare that we see things in wrestling end on the wrestler's terms sometimes. Yeah. And this ended exactly on Suzuki's terms and by extension, the wrestler is in Suzuki Goon's terms. And that is so rare, especially for a faction that um, it's like they're, they're a New Japan faction and they're not. It's really Suzuki's faction and they sort of got in the history of it, they got bandied around a lot. <laughs> and oh. there was like, we've talked about this in a million episodes on Kickout, but like they have some some tough years as a, as a faction of kind of getting into like the politics of these different companies. But, um, you know, to your point, like, yeah, it's sad that something that's been around for 11 years just kind of comes to an end. But at the same time, like how often do we get to see something come to an end on their terms and like the growth of something that, that's gone on that long? Like, that's beautiful and rare in wrestling. So I just needed to share that. And again, um, it's worth following our friend Thistle. They have an incredible mind for this and I'm paraphrasing some of their thoughts. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think that's a just really lovely moments all, of, all around, Jonathan. Um, Jesse, if you wanna go ahead and give us three moments that spoke out to you. So my three moments are cheering returns. All Japan returning to the Budokan and Yuma winning the Champion Carnival. Also extremely good choices. <laughs> so with cheering, it's not back 100% and it's not on every show, but it is slowly coming back more and more. And it just adds so much to a show. Like you don't realize just how much you missed it until it's back. For All Japan's return to the Budokan, I do have problems with this show. Believe me, listen to our episode if you don't uh, <laughs> think it's true. The lead up to the show wasn't great either, but for All Japan to be back for the first time in 18 years was such a great moment. All these wrestlers definitely deserve to be on the big stage, especially the younger guys. Like this is a moment like they're never going to forget. And having Kento and Salama, the two aces in the main event, just made sense. Even if it was the evil director Salama, it was still great. <laughs> it it was and we we all do agree to that even if uh Suwama isn't quite himself maybe someday he'll he'll get get back to his senses um who knows but but yeah those are really good choices and I agree that like cheering just adds a lot especially in AJPW with a lot of really um lively invested fans you can really feel it so I I would definitely that's a really good moment and for my last moment is Yuma winning the Champion Carnival. He is my favorite wrestler. And to see him win the most popular tournament for All Japan was just wonderful. But especially because I thought he was going to lose. I thought Jake was definitely winning, like 100%. There was no way Yuma was going to win. 
So when he hit the second, the, the full move that he does, his finisher on Jake, like my head was in my hands, like no way, like this is not happening. Like I don't believe it. I'm not seeing this. But he won and he is now the youngest champion carnival winner in history. And that's such a big moment for the company and Yuma. You just can't replicate the moment of that happening to your favorite wrestler. And that's something that's just so important and so special. And then, you know, looking at it on a wider scale is like Yuma Aoyagi just really deserved it. Um, and that's that's really an honor that I didn't I didn't expect it either. And I don't know if you guys also predicted it to happen, but I didn't predict it. I thought Jake was going to win. So it's really just a, a breathtaking and surprising moment. So my moments, um, number three would be when on March 21st, when Ryuki Honda pulls out a knife on Shotaro Ashino. <laughs> number two would be on June 1st, when Katsuko Nakajima pulled a knife on the DDT logo. And number one would be when Keno didn't actually pull a knife, but he did start his YouTube channel and that would be on April 13th. And uh, yeah, those, those are my, uh, those are my moments. I, I just, I keep coming back to Honda with the knife on Ashino to the point where Alicia actually pointed out that that was my moment of the year to me. Um, and uh, yeah, that moment changed my perception of Honda and last man standing matches and possibly wrestling as a whole, just, just to me. And then Nakajima um, was just, it, that was just a really good character moment for him. He didn't have a whole lot of like big character moments this year. But he pulled that knife out on the DDT sign and ripped it up and, and got really dramatic. And that was just a really good moment for him. And it made a lot of story where we had a lot of um, sadness in Marafuji having to step out of that match and Nakajima being able to pull out the story and pull out these character um, and just be very vicious was just really, really exciting. And then, of course, Keno. <laughs> um, I have talked at length about his YouTube channel, but it really is just a repeated and constant source of joy and comfort and content for me this year. And it's just, it's just an incredible look into Keno, but also a look into martial arts and wrestling. And it's just, if anyone wants a deeper look into Keno, please subscribe. He has 21,000 subscribers and counting. And uh, yeah, he, um, he puts a lot of heart and a lot of uh, soul into it. So him starting that channel just changed the course of my entire year. So it's definitely a huge moment for me. I love your tweets about uh, Keno's YouTube videos. I look <laughs> oh, forward yeah. to them. Oh, I'm flattered. I love them. I've, I've gotten a little bit better at translating them too. It's, um, that's a another thing. That's another thing is that this YouTube channel has, um, has really given me a lot of like motivation to practice my listening skills. So, um, it's also led to a lot of, I guess, um, new year's resolutions that, uh, have come true a little bit this year. I've improved my Japanese, uh, thanks to Mr. Keno. So I can't say no to that. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been it's been a joy just uh, seeing what he's up to. He he just posted a travel vlog, which was really fun. And there's nothing really to translate in there. So you can check that out. But uh, Alicia, what do you have for your uh, best moments? You know, you you also got uh, like wrecked at the last minute for uh, for your moments. Kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Not quite as much as Jonathan, but <laughs> so. 
for my moments, I went with Naoya Nomura returns to All Japan and storms the ring to confront Yuma Aoyagi and Jake Lee on June 6th. I also have uh, Jake Lee defeats Kento Miyahara for the Triple Crown, bringing a critical chapter of their rivalry to a close and says to Kento post-match, I became what I am now because you are here. Thank you. That was on June 19th. And the translation is from Alex Rain or G-A-M-U-R-I-N on Twitter. And then for my third moment, this is the one, or maybe my first moment, this is the one that um, came when, I guess, sort of late, but this bumped a different moment me and Rachel will talk about in a second off my list. But this was Naomichi Marafuji's surprise announcement that Kenta will be his tag partner against Taka and Satoshi at the upcoming New Year's Day Budokan show. And that took place, of course, on November 23rd. So yeah, I don't think that like any of these are particularly surprising for me. However, Naoya coming back, you know, that is something that we had speculated. I can remember like talking to Jesse and Rachel and Jonathan, like all of you guys about like the odds of this happening. And we had talked about it like on an episode of Talking Triple Crown. And I think like almost right after is when that happened. And I remember driving to get Starbucks before going to work. And Jonathan was messaging me saying that it was happening and uh, talking to him about it. And just like being in the Starbucks parking lot being like overwhelmed with how emotional (laughs) I was because at one point, like that door, um, it felt like it had closed, you know, like, cause we thought that he had left. Um, and that's going to come up a couple of times and stuff I talk about during this episode too. So I was, um, let's see if I can do this episode actually without like crying. Let's see. Let's see. (laughs) Um, so I've already really... gotten close a couple times. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> let's see. Um, so that was a, that was huge. Um, I just can I can remember like standing in the Starbucks parking lot, like completely overwhelmed just by like, oh my God, like he might not be gone forever. So that was huge. Um, my second one with Jake defeating um Kento. I did not think he was going to win. Um, and then he did, and I was really overwhelmed. Um, and then to have like their, um, their post-match together and to have Jake say that to him was huge and just years in the making. And I've talked extensively about, you know, what that moment has meant to Jake has meant to me, but there's just no way that I can't, um, talk about that because it was so significant. And again, it speaks to what Jonathan was saying so perfectly before about, um, how, um, and what I talked about on Talking Triple Crown about how rare it is that we get perfect moments and it has disappointed me so much that people um, focused on the terrible booking decision of Suwama taking the belt off of him and giving mm-hmm. him a zero defense reign when um, that was never the point, um, I think. And the point, I think, was to give him that perfect moment and finally give him the win he deserved over Kento to close that chapter between them. So uh, that's why I chose that moment. Sorry. <laughs> 2022 was absolutely wrecked me. So there's that. And then, of course, like, how could I not choose Mara Fuji? announcing that Mario Ken has reformed uh, for the Budokan, uh, which is also a huge deal for me. I would not be a fan of wrestling if not for them. I would have walked away from it again as an adult. I had watched WWE and then I found um, Perez and I had gotten into New Japan and I had liked a lot of people from New Japan, but I would have walked away from it again had I not found Marafuji and Noah and then Kenta. So to have um, a point in time where I can see them together as a fan. I did not get to see them uh, during their last tag match together in 2014 before Kenta left for WWE. I came in as a fan like not too long after that, I guess. I, um, I can't explain how much it means to me. So 
that of course is my best moment of the year. Yeah. Those are tremendous moments. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, moments in general. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really happy you've sort of given us your, your Maruken story. And I know you've talked about it on the podcast before, but it is important that you, uh, you talk about just how much, you know, these wrestlers mean to you and how much they mean to wrestling and mean to Noah in general. Um, and I think seeing your posts to go on Twitter, uh, seeing your posts about them on Twitter as well. And, uh, what you've been posting recently, some of your throwback pictures are also really worth checking out. So if you guys are listening and want, uh, some throwback tomorrow, Ken, please, please go check out Alicia's Twitter. Listen to the podcast that Kika did about Mario Ken. Like I have never watched any of their matches, but I was getting emotional about Alicia and Rachel just talking about them. It's, it's honestly just fantastic. Yeah. It came, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> it was very uh, serendipitous that we did those episodes and didn't actually expect the reunion to happen. Uh, but it, it was announced right in the middle of our two-parter. So that was a, uh, sort of a kickout moment of the year, at least for me. <laughs> It was very, it was very surprising. I had to bite my tongue and wait for uh, Alicia to wake up and, and see the news. Cause I saw it live. So that was, that was always very exciting, but. The other moment we wanted to mention Rachel and I specifically yes. is this got bumped off of our lists due to everything else going on, but I'm sure, um, you know, maybe both of you saw this too and, and felt a certain type of way about this, but Kazusada Higuchi becoming KOD openweight champion and getting belted by um, Akiyama June was huge. It was a perfect culmination of a storyline between Higuchi and Akiyama. At that point, they gave Higuchi a just perfect, um, you know, sort of ceremony <laughs> around becoming champion oh, yeah. after, um, you know, to me, the, the utter tragedy of Endo having to relinquish, but then to follow this up with the exact um, perfect moment for Higuchi with such love and such care um, is again, I think something that we don't always see in pro wrestling. And it's something that is specific to the culture of DDT that makes DDT so unique and so worth watching. And um, me and Rachel just wanted to acknowledge that moment as well um, because it was just hugely significant and also just such a perfect use of, of Akiyama in that company and the way that he was able to, um, to be involved with the Gucci in this and belt him. It was just perfect. Yeah, it was, it was just a perfect moment. There's no other way to say that. And thank you, Alicia, for uh, summarizing our feelings on that. Uh, exactly. Cause we both really, really wanted to shout that out, I guess, as an honorable mention, but for our next category, we're going to do the same style where you just list your top five you can do it in order or not. I know Alicia and I both don't really want to give an exact order. So then um, that is going to be none other than best matches, our five matches of the year. And Jonathan, I'm going to put you on the spot. You are going to start. Great. Well, my best matches are in order for this. This is from mm-hmm. five to one. And uh, oh, basically Jeeva. there's a uh, just some clear reasons for this in terms of just how much I enjoyed them and how significant I thought they were plus how good the matches were from some kind of uh, performance sense. So my fifth one is what was this year's Tospo match of the year, which was Will Ospreay versus Kazuchika Okada in the G1 Climax final. Uh, number four was Takeshita versus Higuchi in DDT's Who's Gonna Top from the 25th of September. Number three 
we have Goshirazaki versus Kadokiyamiya from Noah Majestic on the 30th Ooh. of April in the Sumo Arena. Number two is Kento Miyahara versus Shuji Ishikawa from AJPW's champion Night 3. And that one was very much in contention for my match of the year. I'll have more to say about that a little bit later. But my match of the year, number one, is Kento Miyahara versus Jake Lee from AJPW mm. champion Night 4, <laughs> a match I mentioned earlier. So uh, I, I'll try to kind of speed through these a little bit here. Uh, I don't really buy into the discourse surrounding the Toastbow awards at the end of the year but i enjoyed that match as it was happening i don't think it's the best match that i saw this year i think it's in contention uh there's a number of reasons why i kind of would bump it down the list but as it was happening i didn't know who was going to win and in these days of wrestling being as predictable as it sometimes is that's for me a, a consideration Number four, with Takeshita versus Higuchi, uh, I don't get to see a whole heap of DDT. Uh, I don't watch it regularly enough, but uh, this one had a very nice, clear storyline behind it in terms of two separate approaches to Perez and to how they want the destiny of their company to go. I think as far as uh, Takeshita wanting to take DDT's title to the world and Higuchi wanting to defend it and keep that within Japan and keep that within his promotion and the two different ideologies uh, emerging between these two and kind of the fight that that was and just some of the absolute sick moments that happened through it where you didn't know who was going to win and it being a great kind of statement in terms of Higuchi's win in terms of putting him over and making him the star and continuing him to be the star that will carry DDT uh, throughout uh, 2022 and beyond. In Shirozaki versus Katakiyomiya, I think we had a match that happened because of outside circumstances that were beyond their control with the loss of the GHC heavyweight champion at the time to COVID and with circumstances being that they needed to kind of save this show uh, they didn't have a lot of time to build this. They had to kind of early finish Go's storyline in terms of his road back to the top, but it was still a moment that uh, I was excited by and that they kind of managed to take this awful circumstance and make you forget it in the context of that match. And toward the end, I generally didn't know who was going to win. Number two is similar in the sense that Kanto Miyahara and Shuji, Shuji Ishikawa came out of nowhere it was one of these matches that I didn't think would be as good as it was. And just the way in which Shuji seemed committed to dropping Kento on his head repeatedly and having his finisher that Kento kicked out of and then hitting a modified version that also dropped him on his head and the ways in which they had their exchanges toward the end with the suplexes and moments where you thought the match was going to end, it kind of had me out of my seat a few times. And by the end, I actually bought Shuji penciling himself in as Booker uh, without really knowing that he's not that selfish and he hasn't done that in this case. It um, was a match out of nowhere. I think I liked it a lot more than most people did. Um, apparently they've had better matches as well that I have to go and check out. But um, yeah, that was that was my, uh, would have been my match of the year, except for the fact that then Jake Lee and Kento Miyahara at the next champion night had their match, which uh, I'm, there's a lot to say about this one. In my opinion, it's um, my personal choice for their best match. I thought the outcome was the best and it was the first time Jake had ever beat Kento for a belt. And I think they handled all that perfectly and all the exchanges and everything like that, the kinds of tension going into this and the moment afterwards were perfect. A lot of people said it shouldn't have happened here, that it maybe should have happened elsewhere, perhaps in retrospect at the Budokan. 
but that's not what we get. This is what we had. And I think considering all the discourse that followed Jake Lee's departure from all Japan, uh, it would be a shame if people were to overlook this. Um, it, I think was his crowning moment in all Japan. And I think that if there's any good to be said about his departure, it's that he's largely done it all there. And I think that this match kind of topped that off and you couldn't have asked for anything better. Um, as a moment, it stands out. So that's my pick for match of the year for 2022. Those are, well, mostly all excellent choices, maybe except for number five, but uh, <laughs> we, we'll, we will openly judge you on that one. Uh, but I guess you, you have the same taste as some uh, some editors in a uh, Tokyo sports back room. So we'll I, uh, I didn't have one. it as my number. I didn't have it as my number one. So I clearly don't. <laughs> But uh, but no, otherwise, um, yeah, I was actually really surprised you picked that Shiazaki match. I, th- I thought for sure you were going to say Nakajima's name, but no, uh, Kaito. And that is, that's a really overlooked match, and that that's a good choice. It's a good shout. So, Jesse, are you ready to give us your top five matches? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> good, because I am dying to hear them. <laughs> you know. They're kind of in the order. I have like my match of the year and then just other matches I've absolutely loved. So I got just like Jonathan, Kento Mihara and Jake Lee from Champions Night 4 on the 19th of July. Then I have Asuki Yagi versus Rising Hayato on the 2nd of October. Mm. My third match I picked is from Noah. It's mm. Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Go Shiozaki from Noah the New Year. I have Miyu Watanabe and Miyu Yamashita from TJPW. And my last match I picked is from Dragon Gate. It's Jason Lee and Jackie Funky Kami versus Shun Skywalker and Diamante. Wow. Some good variety there. Yeah. I could go with all, all Japan matches, but I thought, why not give variety? Because, you know, talking <laughs> Triple Crown, end of the episode, that's going to be all, all Japan. That's fair. <laughs> so I'll start from the top and, like, what can I say that Alicia and Jonathan hasn't said yet about this match? Jake Lee versus Kento Mihara. I'm not going to get too much into it because I know I'm going to talk about it a whole lot on uh, TTC, but I just love this match so much. It's my match of the year. It was such a beautiful ending to the Jake versus Kento storyline and Jake's words that he said to Kento like made me emotional. It was just so beautiful. Then with Aski Oyagi and Rising Hayato, this was the first time since 2013 that the juniors main evented a Korokan Hall show and these two just so deserve this spot. They went all out and Kenton commentary was just going insane. He was losing his mind. He just added to this match so much. Really this is the junior feud and the one the division will be built around. For Nakajima versus uh, Shiozaki, this was just beautiful. I love the video they showed before. Nakajima is just so serious and looks dangerous and Go is just in the field like the precious little man he is. <laughs> I loved it so much. Um, the kick and chop exchange will just live forever in my head. It was just amazing. And it has my sister's ticket of approval. She has not watched a Noah match ever before, but she was like enthralled by this match and immediately was a fan of Nakajima. Good choice. Very good choice. <laughs> anyway, for the TJPW match, I just... Love this. This was very much an ace versus an uppercut storyline. Every single time Watanabe gets any momentum at all or any offense, Yamashita just drops her with a kick and her kicks are brutal. 
I love the underdog story of Montanabe, who really had to fight for every single thing in this match. And Yamashita gave her um, no chance. She was not easy at her at all. And the win for Montanabe was just, it was so emotional. She was so emotional. It was just great. Yeah, that match actually made me made me cry. I was really surprised. I had watched it unspoiled. So that was that was a really incredible match. And my last match, the Dragon Gate tag match, is the only tag match on this list. Obviously, it's just so much fun. It's just buckets of fun. It was nonstop action from the get-go, and they did not let up at any time in the match. The monkey flip spot towards the beginning was amazing. And just the momentum. I forgot who got flipped. Sorry, Dragon Gate fans, but um. They got so much momentum. It was insane. The ending sequence between Jackie and Shun was amazing, as well as the rest of the ending sequence between the other two as well. This match is on YouTube, so it's for free. You can find it on Gora's uh, YouTube channel. So that's where I watched it, and that's where you should watch it too. Yeah, might have to check that out, actually. That sounds like a fun time. All right, so I guess we're down to my matches, huh? (laughs) So my five, I'm going to sort of throw them into some, some sort of order here. My number five is going to be Daisuke Sasaki versus Keno, and that's going to be on June 12th at Saitama Super Arena. Number four is going to be El Desperado versus June Kasai, and that's going to be September 12th at Yoyogi National State Gymnasium number two. Number three is going to be Mao versus June Kasai versus Daisuke Sasaki on March 20th at Rogoku Kokugikan. Number two is going to be Keno versus Satoshi Kojima on July 16th at the Nippon Budokan. And number one will be Hayato Jr. Fujita versus Musashi. And that will be July 1st, Michinoku Pro, Kurikan Hall. So I had to, I sort of made that order on the fly. So I'm committing to it now. Sasaki versus Keno is just a really fun, exciting match. It has the most incredible entrances you've ever seen. And it was just really creative and exciting. And one thing I really love about this match and um, the next match I'll talk about too, is that everyone who watches it takes away a different story that this match is about promotions and it's about wrestling style, but it's also about friendship and found families. And it's about believing in yourself or giving up on yourself. And it's about thumbtacks and it's about ladders and it's about helmets and it's, it's about everything. It's everybody has something different. They take away from it. And I think that just, it has incredible replay value and I watch it over and over again and I never get bored of it. So that one definitely gets a slot up there. Not to mention that it, it gave kind of momentum to go into uh, the Nippon Budokan, but you know. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, next is, is the same sort of thing with El Desperado versus Jun Kasai. Um, this match means something to everyone who has watched it, and it all means something different. It's incredible enough that people passed around by word of mouth a just tap out show um, that our friend Thistle was really excited for this match and was convinced uh, that no one would see it. No one would watch it. Now everyone's talking about it. And of course, that's very overwhelming for them. But it it was very surprising for me, too. And um, I seek this out. And it's just um, it's incredible. It's art. It's um, something that everyone takes away something different from this, this death match is about living like all death matches really should be about. And it's also about love as a lot of great art is. So 
That's how I feel about that one. Number three is going to be Mao versus Jun Kasai versus Daisuke Sasaki. And this is a big theme of my matches is this match encapsulates a wrestler's personality that I really like. And uh, this match encapsulates Mao's personality. The whole build was about him being ignored by Daisuke Sasaki and um, in favor of Jun Kasai. And Mao would not be ignored, period. Um, he would not be denied. And that is just his personality. He took every weapon he has from this match actually like is significant to his personality. It's in tune with his personality, which is a pun because he uses a guitar because he's he's a musician and Alicia's rolling her eyes. Um, no, I'm, not. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, and then he um he finishes this match with this ladder structure built in the in the shape of the letter M for Mao. And it's just such a loud statement piece of him coming into his own and winning the universal bell. And it's it's just an incredible moment and an incredible match that just highlights this wrestler that I don't think gets enough shine. Um, and he finds a way to sort of make his own shine. And of course, my opinions on that universal run are, are what they are, but um, that moment really cannot be denied. And then number two is another one where the moment just cannot be denied. And that is uh, Keno and Satoshi Kojima. And yeah, this, this match is just really special to me for a lot of personal reasons. I watched it five times on July 16th. I just, I just didn't stop watching it. Um, played it back constantly. And it's just a beautiful highlight of Keno as a wrestler. You get to see um, almost all of his moves, um, even some rare stuff that he doesn't pull out very often. And um, you get to see his determination, his adaptability, his fiery spirit. You get to see a little bit of his comedy, his, you know, sort of annoying personality that comes out um, here and there as he sort of tries to best Kojima. And it's just very him. It's it's every bit. I would show this to anyone who has never seen Keno for the first time, because this to me is just the perfect Keno match. And um and that leads perfectly into my number one, which is the perfect Hayato match. Um, and that's Hayato Jr. Fujita versus Musashi. And um, in if you've listened to the Matches We Love episode, you've heard me talk at length about Hayato's sort of storyline in the ring and um, his struggles outside the ring as well. And um, it's just, this match was, of course, Hayato's first match after a five-year-long battle with spinal cancer. And it's just beautiful how Musashi and Hayato work that story into the match without feeling overwrought. This match is at its core about an older ace of the company who needed to step out on hiatus and facing off against the current ace who took the company in by the helm in Hayato's absence. And this match was about what these two would do to either maintain the status quo or reclaim their spot at the top. And it's, it's brutal. It's a brutal, brutal match. And Musashi was probably the only heel I've seen this year who actually worked me. And I was like actively really pissed at my computer. Like I was really irritated watching this match. And, and that was just incredible heel work for me. So if you haven't seen it, please seek this match out and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Um, but in a work, the crowd effortlessly, too. And it's just, yeah, Hayato played his role. And that was the role of Hayato, the man who shines the brightest when his back is against the wall and the man who just has no quit in him. And he makes the impossible possible. And he won that belt. And I cried and cried and cried. And he cried and Jinsei cried and the audience cried. And it's just a, a match that can't be replaced. So after all that, Alicia... <laughs> 
it's hard to follow you guys i'm telling you <laughs> we have some Gosh. really great matches yeah. really oh, really man. great matches really really great matches so i have goshi azaki versus namichi marafuji from february 10th in cork and hall mm. i have kento miyahara versus naoya namura from september 19th cork and hall jake lee versus yuma aoyagi May 4th, Cork and Hall. A lot of my matches happen in Cork and Hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my theme. Yeah. Um, we should have like, like a, there should be a venue of the year category. Yeah, we should have actually. Cork and Hall would win every year. Yeah. 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 Uh, my second to last match, Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Hideki Suzuki, April 8th, Cork and Hall. And uh, my last match that I put, because again, this is not really in any particular order for me. And my list would look rather different if I pulled this out to 10 and, and 20, I think. I think it would be very, honestly, all Japan heavy. But the last match I put down is, I don't think this is any surprise, is Kenta and Takashi Sugira and Kazuchi Sakuraba versus Masa Kitamiya, Yoshiki Inamura, and Daiki Inaba from Noah the New Year in the Nippon Budokan. So going back to Shio and... Mara Fuji, I just talked about this match with Rachel extensively on uh, Kickouts episode, I Am Noah Part 2. So if you haven't gotten to that, please check that out because we have some extensive thoughts about Shio's trial series. And I really could have chosen almost any match from that trial series Mm -hmm. and stuck it in my top five. Uh, But I, I keep going back to this one. It was just something where I can remember exactly how I felt waking up early uh, before work to catch this standing in my freezing cold kitchen uh, to watch this and I can remember like playing back a film how much I loved this and how excited I was in real time it's easily Mara Fuji's best match of the year just classic genius of the arc stuff to clinch this win over Shio with perfect uh, backstage comments and sentiments to keep the story going for Shiozaki and just between them in general because I think that the work that Shiozaki and Marafuji have done over the years is incredibly underrated. I think that if you go back into Shio's mm-hmm. fourth reign, even uh, the Marafuji match is such an important part of the storytelling of that reign, and it is often overlooked. And I think that's unfortunate because the work they've done together has always been very important. I wanted to highlight Kento and Naoya. I could talk about a lot of big Kento matches this year, including his triple crown match with even Yuma. But I keep coming back to this one with Naoya because it's just no surprise, I think, to anyone listening to this, how much these next stream matches and storylines mean to me. I couldn't even get through the memories one because I started crying. But it was (laughs) literally last year, actually, on this very day that we thought Naoya had left all Japan after one last match with Yuma. And matches like this, they were going to be lost to us. So to have gotten to this one was significant for me in an at times brutal year for wrestling. It's just an incredible blistering match with the two of them picking right back up where we left them during their last singles match before Naoya's injury. And Naoya just drives Kento so close to the edge in this that I genuinely believe that he might have won more than a few times we got so much closer to imagining the day that Naoya finally defeats Kento with this match. And that was a very powerful thing for me. And I loved that fist bump between the two of them, which if you remember the match with him and Yuma, he wouldn't even shake Yuma's hand, but he gave Naoya that fist bump. And that always means something when it comes to Kento. My next match is Jake Lee versus Yuma. And that was the champion carnival final. Um, 
oh jesus christ this match is um everything <laughs> i love about about jake and everything i love about yuma i thought jake was uh pitch perfect with his heel work in this and he just nailed the tone and everything he did was just clean and sharp and brutal at points i think the machiavellian side of total eclipse jake lee was displayed so perfectly here with his calculated limb work and to contrast that yuma was all like big baby face energy and just selling like hell for everything that jake threw at him and making all of his comeback spots count and then hitting like every finisher he could think of in those final moments to clinch a first time champion carnival victory over his former next stream teammate and just one of the best feel-good moments of the year, earning that audible pop from the crowd who weren't actually allowed to make crowd noise. I was just so grateful that it came down to them. And that Jake, like I said before, got to have a slightly more normal champion carnival final than the one he got and won the year before. And that Yuma, like Jesse was saying, is now our youngest champion carnival winner. And there was truly no better second than Hakato Amori. He is like the best supporting character in that match from his arguments with Wada and just him visibly and audibly losing his mind um, throughout that match. I kind of forgot about Hokuto during that match. Now I need to go watch that back. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> he's, um, he's amazing. Katsuhiko Nakajima and Hideki Suzuki. This match is just a perfect match between two professional wrestlers. And I don't know if that's going to convey the way that I want it to. But this is just genuinely like my type of match anyway, because they spend so much time grappling and it's just seamless and perfect. And I could have watched them do just that for 30 minutes, but they also had like just brutal exchange after brutal exchange and just goading each other on with like these big smirks. And you get like Nakajima doing like the Kawada stretches on the outside before he just winds up with like this terrible little kick to Hideki. These two are just nasty to each other. And it was just a perfectly executed perfectly paced match it doesn't even feel like 30 minutes and I just can't wait for their rubber match I think I've probably watched this match the most Mm. this year it's like one of those like compulsive um watches for me and every time I watch it I find something new that I love I cannot say enough about how um how much this is a perfectly executed professional wrestling match Nakajima's grappling has improved so much. Like I would have never expected this match out of him a few years ago. Yeah, just in like the last two years alone, his jujitsu has improved um, exponentially. And then my final match um, was Kenta and Sugira and Sakuraba versus uh, Kitamiya, Inamura, and uh, Inaba at Noah the New Year. And you know what can I say? This is obviously super meaningful to me for um, the obvious, but Kenta genuinely looked amazing in this and his interactions with Inamura were particularly excellent they really are the highlight of the match but I think Masa is also great in this particularly up against Sugira there's really great interactions there and I'm still waiting for the Kenta Inamura singles match based off of what they did together during this tag Um, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that part where like Inamura tries to lift Kenta up on the outside and Kenta has like the awareness (laughs) to stick his foot in the barricade so that Inamura cannot lift him all the way up. I just think that's so fucking cool. His ring awareness is amazing. But this match was significant to me because, you know, we we've gotten to a point where we get to see Mara Fuji and Sugira and Noah as veterans as like these imposing veterans to this younger generation and Noah and we have not really been able to see 
tend to do that with our current crop of, you know, Noah, you know, young gen guys, right? Um, so to have Kenta back and to just see him be this imposing sort of mean senior and to see him draw himself up to his full height and just look like such a fucking badass in that ring was fucking cool. It was the coolest thing in the world. So I love that match. Yeah, those are excellent choices. They were very Alicia, but in a very, very good way. And thank you for sharing those. Very excited. I'm glad you mentioned the Hideki Nakajima match. And Smiley wasn't able to join us this evening, but we do want to acknowledge some of his match of the year choices. He did list Runaway Suplex versus Next Stream from January 3rd, which was an incredible tag match. Oh, and he yeah. also wanted to acknowledge Atsuki versus Hayato from October 2nd. That is also an All Japan match. It's so hard to pick so many of these categories and that one there, there are so many bouts that I'd either forgotten about or that kind of you could make a case for and if we had a top 10 or a top 20 it would be quite a different list Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's very interesting um especially since um we have the um talking triple crown end of year that i think we're we're kind of saving some of our our stuff that would otherwise be on like a top 10 top 20 list uh for that episode so definitely check that that out you guys uh but yeah uh so i i think that's that's an interesting factor as well i was joking about how we have categories for our categories uh when it comes to our matches but i think that's that's definitely been shown throughout uh, the sort of variety we all have so next up is going to be our promotion of the year. We'll just go ahead and uh, make a shout real quick there. And Jonathan, what do you have for promotion of the year? It's so hard because there are so many different ways to look at it and so many different like things I had to take into consideration. Uh, I was very excited about so many promotions this year that then just kind of spotted out by the end. So this is looking at kind of how excited I am right now going into next year and looking at everything from this year. So my promotion of the year for 2022 is pro wrestling Noah. Oh, with a couple of cap with a couple of caveats and, and stuff like that. Um, as far as that goes, just to list it real quickly is that I just, I'm excited about where this promotion is headed into next year and the things that they've booked um, the growth and things that they're going to be doing next year that they haven't done um, in a long time. And um, it was very neck and neck between them and all Japan um, for my promotion of the year. And I just gave them the edge because of how excited I am going into this year. Um, all Japan spotted out or lost something at the end there that kind of just gave Noah that little bit of an edge. So it's Noah but with a heavy asterisk next to it that it could have been all Japan on a different day. Yeah, that checks out. That does. Uh, Jesse, what do you have? For me, it has to be All Japan. It's the only uh, promotion I kept up with. So I don't really have a good read on the other ones. But I think the first half was great. You know, the Champion Carnival tournament was great. They were putting on amazing matches. The second half kind of, it's okay. But it still had great moments here and there. So it's worth checking out some of that. I mean, I th- and I think that's perfectly valid. Like we live in a society where our time is so limited that you have to watch what captures your attention the most. And, you know, when it's all Japan, that's, that's your promotion of the year. I think it's, you don't need to, to put a caveat there. Um, that's definitely an extremely valid and it's a great promotion. So uh, there's that. Mine was DDT. It was incredibly consistent this year. It just um, 
had a really, it just showed me a good time every time. And the, all the booking decisions for the most part made perfect sense. I was like, yeah, that, that checks out. And the stories were very interesting and um, it is their 20th, 25th anniversary year. And I thought they did a really good job playing that up and uh, paying homage to that throughout the year. So um, that would be my promotion of the year. Alicia. I kind of cheated with this one and also the next category, just saying in advance, but I had to name (laughs) kind of two here because I had two minds about why I would do this. I, I said DDT for promotion of the year because of its consistent booking and show match quality to be sure. And pretty much all the reasons that Rachel said too, I think those are all good shouts about why DDT would deserve this. However, I couldn't not say all Japan um, because I think that for the majority of the year, there was no, like there was, we had, to me, we had the strongest house shows of any um, going promotion. I think that makes up for a lot and this might be like controversial um, and I also don't care, but I think that we have (laughs) the best ace going in uh, Perez and it's hard for me to um, count what, Rachel? I'm thinking. I'm thinking oh. if I agree with you. I'll let you know later. You probably don't. That's okay. Um, I might. I think we have the best ace in Perez, and he held the belt for really the, the majority of the year, aside from like our bump in the road with um, Suama. And <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. So I think that it's hard to even count All Japan out, even though we had a much rockier road through, I think, the second half of the year. A rockier Royal Road, even. <laughs> we had great big matches. My, my top 20 would just be littered with, with All Japan matches this year. Like, we had great matches. We just had a, a weird sort of close to the year. And just that moment with getting back to the Budokan as well is just so huge that I was very, very close to giving All Japan the tick there because of that and that alone, when you consider the history of this promotion and where they've been. And I think it's just been pretty well acknowledged by all of us that the second year or the second half of the year or the latter part of it anyway was not as good as that which preceded it. But, I mean, still I think they end probably better at the end of the year than they started it. All right, next up we have our tag team, and I do have you list one runner-up this time. So give us uh, your tag team and your runner-up, Jonathan. So in considering this, there are a few teams actually that comes to mind in terms of my my runner-up. There is a team that I just kind of like this in terms of their match quality. They haven't been together for as long. And uh, they aren't necessarily a traditional tag team in that particular sense. But as far as teams that were somewhat thrown together, but that I think just have something in terms of their chemistry with one another and that goes uh, in and out of the ring, uh, would have to be Satoshi Kojima and Takashi Sugiro. Uh, those guys working together, there's something about their team. Uh, the, the faces that Rachel are pulling, uh, that Rachel's pulling at the moment, I've said something that offends them on some deeper level. <laughs> no, actually the opposite. I had them as my, I had them as my runner up and Alicia yeah. talked me out of it. Okay. <laughs> I was right. so offended by like, me saying talking Satoshi. So we're both dying of laughter right now, but no, very good I'm like how have I offended them now but basically I just I I just love these guys together and there's just so much amazing stuff there it doesn't quite the reason that it didn't get the first one though is I don't feel that they've had the belts quite as long as the other team that that did have them 
it that had them and unfortunately lost them and then unfortunately fell due to injury. So uh, with all of those caveats in mind, my tag team of the year is the former world tag team champions from GOA. Uh, these guys nearly killed each other in a last man standing match that I would have had on my list as well, as far as best matches of the year. But uh, just, and again, they were presented the tag belts um, by the Holy Demon Army, one of the best tag teams of all time and kind of had just great moments throughout the year. Um, it was a shame that we had it all go down due to injury uh, when we did, and they might well have won the tag tournament, if not for that, but, it is what it is. They, they're still my tag team of the year, um, part of my faction of the year. Um, narrowly kind of edging out the other team that I'd have there. But um, I otherwise, I, I expect that we might see some of these names crop up again uh, in terms of the other lists that we have to have. Uh, I'm interested in what Jesse has to, to say, for instance, uh, if uh, you have a similar team in mind or, if, again, something completely different for the Euro yeah. Awards. You were I just wanted to mention, because we're, we're kind of ragging on Taka and Satoshi a little bit, but you know what, though, what is fair to say? Sugira had a rough year with the accident that happened with Otani, and he looked so tired and so unhappy for a really long time. And if you follow a lot of Japanese Noah fans on Twitter, they had done a lot to sort of make like, hashtags for him, and he wasn't using Twitter at this point. He stopped using it, but there was a lot of concern for Sugira's well-being after this and his mental health. And he, with the timing of the Sugira and Kojima tag team, it really was a good thing for him because he does look a lot better now. He looks a lot happier now and he smiles and he laughs. And that should be acknowledged, even if I'm really salty that Kojima <laughs> gets a lot of cheers from Noah fans, despite not being a Noah wrestler. That's really all it is. That's really, but uh, yeah. the itself, yeah. It's um. I think he would be a Noah wrestler if not for some of the politics there. As far as kind of if he signs with them, then that's closing the door on New Japan. Like uh, he's not contracted to New Japan, so I yeah, I would, I would have loved to have seen him sign with them. But I think it kind of one of those things they have to put the landmark on stuff in order to kind of keep him one door open there, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean. Politics are politics. We, yes. we don't really have much uh, much to say there. But uh, Jesse, do you have uh, what are what are your tag team and runner up of the year? So my runner up, I was trying to justify how can I put Yuma and Kento for my <laughs> runners up. I couldn't, but I did go with another Kento tag team. Our favorite from like the last two months. I went with Kento Mihara and Takuya Nomura. I just love these two. They just have such a fun kind of complicated relationship like Kento just wants to be best friends with Nomura and Nora is like no nah. like I don't want this <laughs> Kento asks his followers to tell Nomura to follow him back on Twitter he tried to hug Nomura and Nomura slapped him in return but they were such a fun tag team they were the best tag team from Tag League like by a like a huge amount like there was no one even close to them they won Tag League together and I just want them to continue their tag team I want Kento Nomura versus Yuma Nomura. Like, which Nomura is better? Mm. Like, who got the better Nomura out of the mm. Kento Yuma mm. split? And for my tag team of the year, I agree with Jonathan. It's got to be Oshino and Honda. I said on Talking Triple Crown and even here, I'm not 100% on the Honda bandwagon. Yeah, <laughs> Alicia's, <laughs> Alicia's losing her mind. 
He just has extremely annoying little brother energy that I know all too well. So my favorite tag team of the year includes someone who I think sucks. Yeah. No, God, she just hates him. No, I do hate him. <laughs> Poor Jesse. I'm going to leave this Zoom call. Everyone's bullying me. <laughs> And we haven't even gotten to the talking triple crown end of the year. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> Talk about bullying. All right. So my uh, tag team of the year, my runner up was actually, and again, um, Alicia talked me into this one. Um, Cause I, I didn't, I was, they were my pick, but I wasn't totally sure if they counted as a real tag team. And that would be Kano and Nakajima Katsuko. Um, but they do, they have a t-shirt. It's kind of ugly, but it's, it is a so tag team. It's, it's terrible, but um, I have hopes that we'll get another one someday because uh, they, they seem pretty dedicated to tagging together and, and their team is fantastic. They're really popular and they have challenged for the tag titles twice. I do think the third time is going to be a charm. Um, and I think, uh, I think sooner rather than later, you guys are also going to be putting him on your list for 2023. That's my hope anyway. <laughs> That's my hope. It may be a little big to say that, but we're going to, we're going to fingers crossed for that one. Um, but no, I, I think that they have fantastic and a fantastic story that I could talk about, you know, at length they've, they've gone through, you know, two years of sort of building this team together. So it's been great this year to sort of see them become a tag team and, um, and sort of execute a lot of different stuff and come up with new spots. It's, it's just been a joy. Um, but Unfortunately, they didn't win any belts. They didn't have a dedicated run. So my tag team of the year goes to Shotaro Ashino and Ryuki Honda. <laughs> and um, yeah, for all the reasons you guys listed, they're just a joy to watch. And it's it's just been a fantastic time. And they were my tag team of the year, like almost the minute they won the belts. And I knew it would never change and it never did. So that's all I can say on that one. Alicia, uh, shock us and stun us with your choices. They won't be, but I did cheat and I put two teams for my honorable mention because um, I couldn't really choose between them. And I have two different schools of thought as to why, but I don't think that will be that foreign to you guys. I did go with Kento Miyahara and uh, Takia Nomura, Mia Ken and Takia, if you will, of all Japan. They were, like Jesse said, just such a damn joy and saved us from a otherwise kind of rough real world tag league this year that didn't have a lot of big standout matches and was sort of weighed down by voodoo martyrs bullshit. And also I think some of the stuff that's going on in the background at all Japan right now, I'm not referring to reports. I'm referring to just people leaving. So yeah, they're just, they were just a joy. The story and like progression of their relationship was just lovely and like refreshing. And you had like all the clunkiness, especially in the beginning. And then by the end, you have like this really just like beautiful like friendship between these two that is still kind of a mess but like there's such care there um and then we have so much going on with them um you know right at the start of 2023 with the belts challenge and then also um they're going to be facing each other for the triple crown so it's just delightful um so I had them and then I also chose Keno and uh Nakajima because what is really fascinating about their relationship and their dynamics they are probably like the most tailor-made uh, sort of example I can give you of a modern day Maruken type of tag team and mm-hmm. the way that they communicate with each other. Um, it's 
a really, really cool thing because the type of connection that Mara Fuji and Kenta have that we talk about extensively in Mara Ken part one and two for kickout that we just did, that's so rare, but it's something that Keno and Nakajima have. And a lot of Japanese Noah fans compare the two teams. And that's why um, Nakajima and Keno, despite not having a dedicated run, despite being unsuccessful in their uh, attempts to get those belts so far, they have a very dedicated fan base within Noah already because of their connection to each other. And um, it's hard for me to not acknowledge them because again, it's kind of speaks to our logic around the faction. Sometimes the booking can kind of be a little bit messy and it's not acknowledging people in the way you want to, but the work that they're doing together is really important and should be acknowledged. Uh, but with that being said, my tag team of the year has to be Shotaro Ashino and Ryuki Honda, Gunier of Anarchy for All Japan. And I will say, like, I'm not a Tospo guy, except when All Japan win and Noah win things. Um, but I was really disappointed that they weren't even really considered at all for tag team of the year. Um, mm. I was really, really, really disappointed that they were not considered considered at all for this. A lot of the Tospo voting, I think, was really weird this year, but this was something that disappointed me greatly because they deserve to be considered if they were not going to win. And I couldn't believe that they didn't have any points or anything that was put forward about them. But Honda had a hell of a year. This time last year, I can't actually remember what day that Jake's injury happened and that they announced that he was relinquishing the Triple Crown. But it was soon after that, going into January, that Honda had his big breakout moments in a tournament where he defeated Ashino to get into a Triple Crown match, decider match with Kento. And he looked like a completely different human being than he's ever looked. And that really kickstarted his year. And then we got him threatening Ashino's life in that match. And it led to them somehow <laughs> being in a tag team together and then led to like the greater formation of Gunier of Anarchy. But he has become um, just an incredible person to watch in this promotion and just an incredible character, an incredible worker. Like he's just amazing. And I expect him to have um, an even bigger 2023, honestly. And Ashino is Ashino. He is um, one of the most dependable and solid workers All Japan has. You can always expect a big match out of him. And I just adore the work that he's done. He really started the year with great tag team work because I think that what will get overlooked a lot is his match with, it was Runaway Suplex versus Next Stream that we started the year with last year and has continued on through this year just being, you know, an outstanding hand in the tag division. That is perfectly said. All right, next up, we have our breakout wrestler of the year, a wrestler that stood out to you this year. Uh, Jonathan, if you could go ahead. It's uh, tough with this category, like a lot of them, because there are a couple of people I could have thrown in there. So I know um, Higuchi, for instance, wasn't on my radar before this, and then mm. seeing the tournament final that he won and then literally giving him the flag for DDT and the belt and kind of saying, like, it's all on your shoulders now. And just the way that he factored into my match of the year, um, despite my not seeing as much of DDT this year, speaks, I think, for itself. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily consider that breakout because he was always there in some fashion or some form. And he was, I think, always acknowledged as being great. I think this was a, a year that he got elevated for sure, though. Um, so I'd definitely have him on the precipice of winning this. But in terms of my breakout star of the year, I went with someone who was a young lion on excursion that got a lot of rave reviews for the kind of stuff that he was doing in the States. And uh, that, of course, was Ren Narita, who had a great return mm-hmm. match uh, against Ishii that narrowly missed my list for the best five matches. Um, it could have been an argument to make to make that my number five. It was kind of that neck and neck thing again. But he just uh, performed so well in that match. And kind of that was such a great kind of match to clearly fit the purpose of getting this one guy over. Um, it's going to be a challenge for him to kind of shine on his own now and to kind of, uh, he's got some big kinds of shoes to fill when it comes to Shibata. So uh, I think that he needs to distinguish himself from Shibata a little bit in terms of how he presents and things like that. But I thought that that match and uh, we're going to see him in a big role, a featured role at the Tokyo Dome uh, going for the TV title. And I think that that's going to be one that I look forward to. I'm going to be watching that and we can now cheer. So that's one of my cheers definitely going to be for Renderita. Um, he's my breakout star of the year for this year. Excellent. Yeah, that's a that's a good shout there. I didn't even think about that, but that that was he he definitely did you know come into his own this year. Jesse, who's your uh, breakout? Who caught your eye? This was probably the hottest category for me. Mm-hmm. Like it took me forever to think of something, and I had some people who thought, nah, take them out. And I kind of cheated in the end with this one because I didn't choose one person, but I chose a whole bunch of people. And I think the breakout people are the rookies this year. Yes. The young yeah. boys, young lions, rookies, whatever you call them. They're my breakout. It's a, it's a good yeah. shot. Yeah. 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 Dragon Gate has some fantastic rookies. And like I hear more about the rookies than I hear about like the veteran wrestlers there. You know, I can talk about Inoue from All Japan, how he's a kick boy now forever. And Yuma Anzai, <laughs> the super rookie, he just pinned Suama in only his 15th match, and he just won Tokyo Sports Rookie of the Year. I think the rookies, like whatever company they are, really stood out this year, and I just want to watch more of the rookies. Yeah, that's good. And a lot of the a lot of the New Japan Young Lions in their matches with All Japan have, have stood out to me too. So a, yeah, a good shout there. Uh, my breakout wrestler, I actually went sort of what Jonathan was going with, with um, like Higuchi, where it's like I didn't really pay attention to him, and then suddenly my eyes were open. And that would be Ryuki Honda. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> but no, I was super, super salty when um, Honda went over Ashino to uh, make it to the finals to determine the uh, vacated triple crown. I was, I was so irritated. I was like, why is this guy getting a push? And he, um, he stepped it up so quickly and just came into his own. And I, I can't really say anything that Alicia didn't say in that beautiful um, talk about um, Ashino and Honda's tag team, but his just dedication and use of character and just his character work, it's hilarious. It's incredible. And then his ring work is just, he puts on banger after banger. So yeah, it's, it's, um, definitely my, my eyes are open and I'm on the Honda train and we just got to get Jesse on it and we're in business. I have to push me on the train. Oh my God. Alicia, what do you, what do you have? I, I kind of went, I think, in the same vein as, as Jesse, really. I just chose one specific person, though. I chose uh, Rio Inoue mm. of All Japan. I think he's, he's an All Japan rookie. I think that he is remarkable. And 
he's had this incredible progression throughout the year. And I've talked about this on Talking Triple Crown with him, but he is someone that is an amazing person to watch because he becomes that much more polished, that much more learned every time you see him perform. And he picks up new skills so quickly. And he's just recently changed his style over to this more like kick boy style. He's He's been uh, working with Toshiaki Kawada, actually, and uh, conferring with him. And it seems like he's picking up some pointers. And uh, we got to see more of this style change throughout the Real World Tag League Tour. And it was like every time he had a match, you would see the kicks improve that much more between um, performances. And that is so remarkable. I just think that he is an incredible talent, but he's also up against... Yuma Anzai, who is the heavyweight, who has come in literally as the super rookie. He is really, I think, following in Suwama's footsteps as the super rookie. Anzai also has that sort of, uh, you know, important pedigree in terms of his amateur wrestling background. He's from the same university, uh, Chuo University, as Suwama and Jumbo Saruta. So there's a lot of different things going for Anzai that will, uh, and he just won, like Jesse said, to, uh, Tospo Rookie of the Year. Inoue was not considered for rookie of the year. And I think that's actually really unfortunate because of how talented he is. If he didn't even come up with a couple of points on that, the Saito brothers ended up with a point, which is mm. remarkable to me. But compared to Rio Inoue, I just, I don't agree with that. I think it's unfortunate. Inoue is going to have the task of needing to make himself stand out in a world where Anzai exists. And I think that we've seen just even over the last couple of weeks with this you know, progression through this new style of his that he's adapting and just how, um, how well he's been able to do this and do it so quickly. I think that he's up to the task of forcing you to remember that he is there too. It's not just about Yuma Anzai. And I just think that he's remarkable and up to the task of making you remember that he's there. Yeah, I definitely agree. All right. Now the category you've all been waiting for, and that is going to be our wrestler of the year. I I did have you guys throw out one or two honorable mentions. So Jonathan, if you could go ahead, please. So my first honorable mention is Yuma, because I thought that it's a huge year for him. Uh, My second honorable mention is Higuchi and my wrestler of the year, just taking into account his carrying of the company, his performances, his box office draw, his kind of abilities in general. I've got Kento Miyahara as my wrestler of the year for 2022, having completely carried all Japan at some key moments and at some tough moments throughout the year. Um, And hopefully we can look forward to this rain being as good as the last one was. Yeah, absolutely. It was really good. And uh, Jesse, what do you have for your your runners up and your wrestler of the year? Uh, My runner up is me Wantanabe from TJPW. Just look mm. at her princess top run, and she's a champion yeah. now. Um, I rem- I still remember how angry people were when she lost in the finals. I was going to put yeah. her in breakout, but I like, nah, put her in like honorable mention for the rest of the year. My second runner-up is Aski. I thought he had a great year, but while writing this down, the only thing in my head was, say Muto, put Muto down. I have not watched a single <laughs> Muto match. I don't know why he was in my head, but he was. I just wanted him to get out of my head. But my rest of the year is Kento for everything everyone has already said about him. You know, he's the ace, the best of the best. No one in all Japan has had a better year than him. You know, he's been triple grand champion twice. He won two tournaments this year. He won Tokyo Sports Outstanding Performance Award. Like, what more can I say? It's, it's Kento. 
Yeah, that's, that is really good. And don't feel bad. Muto gets in everybody's head at one point or another. <laughs> if, we're, yeah. if we're going by headline creation and by the stories he created, um, I'd, I'd say he was up there too. Don't get me started on those headlines. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so my, um, my wrestler of the year, my runner up, I had Kazusada Higuchi as well as my, uh, I guess, honorable mention. And then my runner up was Hayato Jr. Fujita. <laughs> Uh, just he's only had five matches but he's made every single one count and just following him on instagram through his comeback has just been really really important to me so i have to give him the shout and then my wrestler of the year um this is going to come as a shock is actually keno <laughs> um and if you if you've listened to and at this point you definitely should have uh, listened to i am noah part two uh, but Keno really did have an incredible year for himself. It was a weird year for Noah for a lot of reasons. And it was kind of, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of rough to be a fan at times. I know uh, Alicia can attest to this. I'm sure Jonathan can as well. And, and Jesse you've, you've watched. Um, but yeah, the booking just seemed to lose itself, but through that Keno never lost himself. Um, he never at any point wasn't in contention for a title. He challenged for the tag titles four times and for the GHC twice. And then the one time he wasn't in contention was when he was feuding with Daisuke uh, Sasaki. So he was just always making a story for himself and he never slowed down. And he carried Noah, I think a lot more than a lot, pe- a lot of people are going to give him credit for. His reign as champion was short, but he was a face for Noah the entire year. And he told his story very loudly and very clearly as a man who just wants to push Noah into the future from the victory against Kiyomiya to literally today, he did a live stream about pushing Noah into the future. So it's just something I love about him. And I feel this year showcased it more in him than any year to date. So I really, I have to give him wrestler of the year. I really do. So I'm excited to see what he does in 2023 because I know he'll up the ante. Alicia, I know, I think you only have one runner up, don't you? Yeah, because I got confused and I didn't realize that we put two there, but it's fine. It's I a good had one. a hard time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in my runner up choice. I just feel like I would have had a hard time in a year like this choosing a solid um, number two. I feel like that would have been um, a tall order for, for whatever reason. The way that I did the runner-up, I have to explain my logic. So I am going to be a little wordy. So apologies yeah. to um, Jesse and Jonathan and to people listening. But my runner-up is Jake Lee. And my wrestler of the year is Kento Miyahara. For, for Jake, I don't feel like I should have to justify why I chose my runner-up all that much. But I'm going to offer clarity around my thought process and hope that those of you listening will appreciate where I'm coming from. I obviously chose Kento as my wrestler of the year for very specific reasons that I'll get into that are in line with the standard criteria for what makes a wrestler of the year. However, for my runner up, I wanted to choose Jake and I did not choose him because I felt he had one of the best in ring years. I actually think that this wasn't a super consistent year for him, though there are quite a few matches of his that I really loved. I had to talk through my decision with Rachel, of course, before (laughs) I did this, but I chose Jake as my runner up because of his sheer persistence in the face of so much turmoil in the ring and outside of it. He has so profoundly resonated with me over the years because there is something so human about the way he has overcome one roadblock or heartbreak after another. And that is a fight in and of itself, how you come back from these things. And I just wanted to recognize Jake for that this year because it is meaningful to me. 
He's also leaving his home promotion for a new one. And while we see that more often in Perez today, this is still an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I think that's pretty brave because there's no certainty in that decision. Jake is someone who has had to be braver than most in his life and career. And that will always count for a lot with me. And there's something to be said for someone who incurs a lot of, I suppose, negative fan reaction in online spaces. Those people talked about him all year. And um, what, what does that really say, right? If you have to keep talking about him over talking and about. over and over again, it does mean he's worth talking about. So thank you to all of those uh, who just keep talking about him, I guess. I think it's working <laughs> in his favor. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That was wonderfully said. Made me, made me teary all over again. But yeah, I tried to convince you to make him your wrestler of the year, but I didn't succeed. <laughs> well, I wanted to choose Kento for wrestler of the year. And that would have, like, okay. Kento was my wrestler of the year, like early on. There's just no way I could have gone with anyone other than Kento. And it really did feel like it was impossible to go with anyone else because the body of work he put out for one, but also my belief that he is one of the best, if not the best all around performer in Perez today. To me, being an incredible performer is not just about being a great wrestler and having good matches. It's about attention to detail and consistency and character and storylines and also showmanship. It's being the total package. And Miyahara Kento is, without a doubt, the total package. Mm. Kento obviously had the unfortunate task of getting All Japan back on track right at the start of 2022 after Jake's injury in December 2021, which forced him to vacate the Triple Crown. But as I predicted from all the way back then, there are a lot of Kento naysayers now singing his praises at the end of the year today, <laughs> and perhaps trying to write that stuff off as Kento stepping up his game or rewriting his own playbook. But I, I disagree with that. Uh, this has been the Kento that I know and love this year, and I've enjoyed him reminding people exactly who he is and why he is so great and why he is the ace of All Japan. Mm-hmm. I've thought about it. I really thought about it. And I do actually think he is probably the best ace in, in Pearl today. I really stewed on it there, but I do actually agree with you. Thank you. Yeah, I think you're right. Smiley wanted us to note that his two wrestlers of the year were El Lindemann and Kento Miyahara of All Japan. Any complaints, Jesse Jonathan? <laughs> none none, none oh, no, whatsoever. I'm the only one who didn't say Kento. Oh no! See, I um, I had so many thoughts about like throwing Keno in there as well, just in terms of the singular way that he performed this year. It was such a oh, huge yeah. year for him, and um, I'm just hoping next year is even better. I'm I'm gonna be there in the Budokan in on the first of January. Um, largely off the back of him against Kiyomiya. Um, Kiyomiya, geez, just it should have been a better year for him. Um, it's so great to see him back at the top as the champion i would have thought about him as my pick as well at some point but again we don't have five six spots we've got like one and then two runner-ups so it's a bit hard to to kind of i think that's the most competitive category you know it's fascinating to cut you off jonathan about kaito is um I don't know why I know so much about the the voting this year. This has never happened to me before, but I (laughs) literally translated every single tweet I could to figure out the voting for uh, the Tokyo Sports Awards that obviously came out yesterday on the 15th. I was um, interested in how, like, Kaito was really the only Noah wrestler besides Muto Weiss who came even remotely close to getting any awards. And actually Kento with his outstanding performance award, it came down to Kaito and Kento after multiple um, runoffs 
And they almost yeah. went with Kaito over Kento. That's how close it was. And it seemed like they um, came down to three matches for match of the year, one of them being Kaito Muto. And they explained the logic behind why they would have gone with Kaito Muto and that it was that the themes of it were around like Kaito being sort of the representative of youth and change and what have you, but they went with, you know, your match. And it's just very, it's just very interesting because Kaito, like he really was like the only representative of Noah in most of those categories where he came up and then just like couldn't clinch it. And that's sort of unfortunate because Kaito did have some admirable and very, I think, memorable performances this year. Yeah, I thought I thought Kaito had a very good year. Um, Kaito would be if I were to just do a Noah like ranking, he'd be he'd be up there. Like he wouldn't touch yeah. Keno, but he he would be up there as a as a wrestler of the year for sure. So I think I think that's a good shout. Jesse, did you have any thoughts, complaints? <laughs> no, no complaints. I think you know everyone has their own opinion. Everyone's um, picks were good. Like Alicia said, I think Kento is the best ace in all of uh, wrestling right now. Like what other ace is going to embarrass himself like Kento did with his Namora storyline? <laughs> Let him get slapped over and over again. I mean, we could argue that Okada could and Okada has done in the past, but uh, he he hasn't quite been on that. He No no more balloons as of late. No. <laughs> We're still waiting for Shiyazaki's balloon era. It's coming. It's coming. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and opinions. This was super fun. I wanted to say too, you know, it's unfortunate that Smiley couldn't join us. Smiley and Jesse are the two people that me and Rachel talked about the most when we were sort of at the very infancy of what Kickout would become. And we knew that we wanted to work with both of you. And it was very meaningful and significant to us when you both agreed to work with us. And then um, you're in our first three episodes. You guys bookend the uh, the first I Am Noah episode. And that's extremely uh, significant for Rachel and I. And that's why we wanted to have you on this episode as well. And why we wanted to have Smiley on and we'll catch up with him at a later date. And then Jonathan, you know, you were one of our first um, like real sort of organic connections through this. I mean, I think you messaged us right after the Budokan, like right after Noah, the new year. Um, Yeah. It was the, um, sorry if I'm interrupting your train of thought there. Um, It was the the I am Noah episode just because that was so good. And that was one that had spurred on my own reading and my own um, watching of matches at the time. Yeah. Thank you. I like, I I just remember like getting um, your message and I remember that I had just, I think bought Gonbaru to read on my phone and um, you know, that, just, you know, just, that was like the, you know, we didn't know each other before that point. And then you became um, just an incredible source of being able to just bounce ideas off you and talk about wrestling. And you are, are, I believe our sixth episode. And that was, you know, a really important episode for us. And we were so happy to be a part of the release of, of Gomburu for you. Um, really honored to be a part of that with you actually. And it's been a really incredible year and we've been so delighted to be friends with both of you and to have you both as part of our, our kickout team, so to speak. And uh, you guys really have been so incredibly uh, helpful to us and encouraging. And obviously, Jesse, you, you know, you do talking to people crown with us, you know, once a month, and we're just so grateful for all the work that you have put into that. We, we never thought in a million years we would have a show like Talking Triple Crown. We did not think that we'd be reviewing um, actively airing shows, but it just made sense <laughs> to keep uh, working with you. And then Jonathan, you've been incredible coming on to uh, multiple episodes of Kickout, Talking Triple Crown as well, and always being a great hand and being willing to help us out and answer questions. And 
we are just profoundly grateful for you both and um, everything you've done for us this year. And, um, you know, please know that you've been a, a major part of the success of Kickout this year. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on to promote my wares as far as the books go. And <laughs> just anytime, anytime that we have a chance to sit down and to talk pro wrestling is good. No, seriously, thank you so much. Like, you don't know, like, just how much I love doing shows with you two and, like, talking Triple Crown. And, like, when Jonathan's on, it's just so much fun. And, like, I don't know, just, like, thank you two so much. <laughs> thank you so much. It's the highlight of our month. It really is. But, yeah, thank you both. And uh, thank you to everyone listening as well. And um, there's a lot of really cool things in store for 2023. We can't wait to bring you new episodes, to bring you even more cool things around Talking Triple Crown. And we are just so blown away by this year and all the support. And I hope that this has been interesting to listen to. Maybe people are mad at us because of our choices now and we've just kind of blown the show, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> they, yeah, they can be mad at us if they want. Any, any, um, it's like with the Kent or with Jake, if they're talking about us, it means we're worth talking about, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and, and insult their choices. That's fine. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening to and supporting Kickout this year. We do have an announcement for January. We'll be taking a break to give us a little time to breathe, catch up on things, and start researching and translating for our 2023 episodes. In January, we will release one episode that was recorded in October, but we were unable to release it at the time. And Talking Triple Crown will be released as normal because All Japan does not stop. But we are really excited to bring you our new episodes in 2023. If you would like to support our work with a gift, please go to co-fee.com slash kickout299. A big thank you once again to everyone who has supported us there so far. You guys really have helped us actually bring down some of the fees associated with getting some professional translations done. So thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to us. And as always, please don't forget to subscribe to us and give us a five-star review or rating on your preferred podcast platform. If you enjoy what you've been hearing, more people can find us when you leave a five-star rating, which helps us out immensely. I know I sound like a broken record, but please thank you for doing that in advance. And speaking of sounding like a broken record, I'm uh, here to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at kickout299 and you can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. that's M-I-I-K-Y star, and you can find Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes. We also do have our link tree where you can find different ways to keep in touch with us, and that is going to be linktr.ee slash kickout2.99. We also have our blog, kickout299.wordpress.com. You can go there and check out a great catalog of different articles and reviews and all kinds of things. And if you would like to submit some questions or feedback, or if you have a pitch for the blog, please email us at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. So we do have some future episodes coming at you, uh, even though we are taking that break in January. On January 17th, we've got that bonus episode that Alicia was talking about that we recorded in October. And then jumping forward to February, on February 7th, we have an episode on Diamond Ring that I'm really excited for. And then on February 21st, we have our second installment of our rival series with The Aggression, and that'll be Katsuhiko Nakajima and Masakita Mia.
Thank you all so much. And we'll talk to you soon.